what's up, everybody? I am happy to be back in the studio. I'll tell you that much for sure. Mm. What am I doing right this second? I am eating a green apple. I'm also happy to be doing that. Not going to lie to you. Not going to lie to you. Okay. So, um... A lot of stuff going on. This is the first show where it's officially president-elect Joseph Robinette Biden. Or as I should probably call him, Joseph Raisinette Biden. Because I'm a child, and that makes that makes me giggle. I'm going to put my apple away now. Um, all right, so I'm going to give you a breakdown of my final breakdown of the dynamics of the election. Um, final thoughts for you on my Joe Rogan election special, which I had a great time doing. Um, we will, of course, talk about how Donald Trump is refusing to concede the election. Refusing to concede the election. Um, then we'll talk about what's going to happen to the Republican Party moving forward. Because... Trump might run again in 2024. What? I'll give you some, uh, I'll I'll respond to the Van Jones viral segment where he cried after Biden won. Um, We have what may be one of the funniest Trump stories of all time that we'll we'll dive into. Yes, it is the Four Seasons one. Um, And then later on, Biden's day one agenda. I'm going to give you Biden's day one agenda. And there's a lot to say about it, and I think a lot of you will be pleasantly surprised with what a Biden day one agenda looks like. So, um, again, very happy to be back in studio with quite a bit of stuff to talk about. So without further ado, let's get started. And um, I will be doing that with my final takeaways from the election. Here we go. So the election is over. The election is over. I do not care what the hardcore Trump supporters are saying, how they're deluding themselves into thinking that it's not over and, you know, uh, there's still a chance and there's going to be legal battles and this and that. It's over, son. It's totally over. Get over it. Um, So final takeaways about the election. First of all, it's going to be anywhere from the likely scenario is Biden 306 electoral votes, Trump 232. That's what's, you know, 90%, 95% chance likelihood of happening. Um, worst case scenario, you can still get like Biden 290 or 291, um, Trump 248. A lot of this depends on, I think, uh, Georgia. So they're going to do a recount in Georgia. If somehow Trump magically wins the recount in Georgia, which he's probably not going to, then it would be like 290 or 291 to 248. Um, Biden right now is up, I believe, anywhere from 7,000 to like 15,000 votes in Georgia. So I think if there, again, I think if there is a recount, I just think it's going to stay in the Biden column. So anywhere from 290 to 306 is, for Biden, is the final result that we're looking at. Um, When all the votes are counted and we're done with everything coming in from California and New York, Biden is going to win the popular vote by around 5%. 5%. Okay. So 
the Dems were projected to win back the Senate, and they didn't. Or if they do, it's going to be just barely eking by and doing it. So right now it's 46 to 48. 46 Democrats, 48 Republicans. We have two runoff elections that are going to happen in Georgia. I believe as of right now, the Democrats are favored for one, the Republicans are favored for the other. The Democrats would need to win both to, to get it so that they have the Senate, and even in that scenario, you'd need Vice President Kamala Harris to break the ties. And, you know, as we've said to you guys a million times, that's not really like the Democrats hold the Senate, because you still have to contend with the likes of Joe Manchin, who's a Democrat in name only, and he basically votes with the Republicans 50 to 60% of the time, if not more. So really the Democrats underperformed when it came to the Senate, and they definitely underperformed when it came to the House. They still retained control of the House, but they lost about four seats in the House. Now, what is, how do we interpret these results? These are really unique, interesting results. I can tell you this. Every single Democrat who endorsed Medicare for All won re-election. Now, beyond that, because I could hear a lot of you saying, okay, but what if those were safe Democratic districts? Democrats in swing districts, every Democrat in swing districts that endorsed Medicare for All won re-election. In fact, the people who lost, the right-wing Democrats, it's people like Max Rose in Staten Island, who is running a campaign shitting on AOC shitting on other Democrats. He you know, portrayed himself as like a pro-Trump Democrat. He lost comfortably. Then you have somebody like Katie Porter, who's a solid lefty running in a swing district, repping her support for Medicare for All and left-wing policy ideas, and she cruised to re-election. She overperformed the polls. So the Democratic establishment is trying to make the exact opposite case to you and me today. They're trying to say, no, 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 the problem is that Ilhan Omar and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, they pushed the party too far left, and that's why we're seeing the results that we're seeing where the Democrats underperformed. Now, by the way, Ilhan Omar increased turnout, Rashida Tlaib increased turnout, which in turn helped Biden win Minnesota, in the case of Ilhan Omar, right? Michigan, in the case of Rashida Tlaib. Meanwhile, John Kasich's face has been all over TV. He's acting like he's in the driver's seat for the direction the Democratic Party should go because he endorsed Biden. Biden got obliterated in Ohio. Trump won Ohio pretty comfortably. So Kasich doesn't deliver his state. Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib helped deliver their states, but somehow the left is the problem? No, no, no. See, this is what I'm trying to explain to you guys. They have their narrative, and they're going to drive it home no matter what. They're going to disregard the facts, and they're going to argue any result proves that, oh, centrism is awesome, corporatism is awesome, Republicans are awesome, and the left is bad. And, and just understand this, because I saw, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez gave an interview where she's talking about, like, oh, my God, what, what are you doing, Democrats? We need to unify and, you know, don't give in to the Republican framing. Alexandria... They're going to attack you no matter what. These Democrats are not, you know, misguided do-gooders. These Democrats are corrupt. These other Democrats are corrupt. 
They were going to attack you no matter what. So don't call for unity with them. You should be attacking them. Use the bully pulpit. You actually have the people on your side. They don't have the people on their side. So this idea, this misguided idea, oh, we need to come together. They don't agree with you. It's not that they're, like, weak, but they mean well. It's that they're corrupt, and they don't even mean well. Okay, so how do we interpret these results? Very simply, Joe Biden underperformed a little. That's a fact. And Democrats in the Senate and the House underperformed a little. But they eked out a victory, which will now lead to gridlock in Washington, D.C. I mean, that's really the takeaway. According to the polls, if the polls were, were exactly reflected on Election Day, Joe Biden would have won 351 electoral votes. 351. So he would have also added to his total North Carolina and Florida. He lost North Carolina and Florida. So he underperformed not only in that respect, but also in the states that he won that he was supposed to win, Trump did outperform his polling. So in other words, in states where Biden was up like six in the average of polls, he's going to end up winning by like one or two points. So really, the polls would have showed Biden 351, a worst case scenario, as I told you guys beforehand, because my prediction was 351 with the backup prediction of 320, worst case scenario. He did worse than the worst case scenario, even though he still won, because he's probably going to get 306, which is around the same number Trump got versus Hillary in 2016. But again, it could be as bad as 290 if he somehow loses Georgia with the recount. Okay, so Joe Biden underperformed. The Senate Democrats underperformed. House Democrats underperformed. And this is all happening at a time when we have a pandemic and we have an economic implosion unfolding in real time where people desperately need a stimulus check. So what lessons do we take away from this? The lesson is, this is as good as you were going to do when you really don't stand for anything. I'm sorry, but that's the truth. This is as good as you were going to do when you really don't stand for anything. My favorite fact of the night is this. There was a, a direct ballot initiative on raising the minimum wage in Florida. Direct ballot initiative. It got over 60% of the vote, which means now it's going to become law. They're going to raise the minimum wage in Florida. The voters went over 60% to raise the minimum wage, but Donald Trump beat Joe Biden in the state by at least three points. How does that make sense? Well, you know, you're probably thinking Biden says he's for raising the minimum wage. Trump says he's against it. Well, if only he talked about that a hell of a lot more and made that a cornerstone of his speeches and his interviews and let everybody know, this is what I'm running on, then he probably would have won Florida. But people, when they thought of Joe Biden, they didn't think of that. They didn't think of that at all. If they did, he would have won. So there's this massive disconnect, this disconnect between the policies people want and then the politicians that they choose. And it's up to Democrats to connect those dots. But again, they don't do it because I don't think they really want to be for Medicare for All because that also pisses off their corporate donors. But if you let people know, I'm for the things that would help you, you're going to win, and you're going to win by wider, more comfortable margins. So they really did underperform. At a time where the economy is imploding, working people are getting screwed, and we have over 230,000 Americans 
who died in a pandemic, and that number is going to steadily rise, at least add 1,000 a day to that. We're getting 120,000 new COVID cases virtually every single day now. How could you only have barely won, or how could you have underperformed the polls against somebody like Donald Trump? He did outperform his polls, and the Republicans outperformed theirs. There were some polling. There was some polling in certain races, like Lindsey Graham versus Jamie Harrison. They were dead tied. And then you know what happened? Lindsey Graham won by like seven points or something crazy. You know, Amy McGrath, hopeless. She got absolutely obliterated by Mitch McConnell. Imagine losing a race to Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell, the Grim Reaper, the guy who does nothing for the American people, who just, who just blocked a stimulus check along with Nancy Pelosi. You lost to that guy? You couldn't beat that guy? And the list goes on and on. There were so many races where it looked like it was even, and then the Republican blew him out of the water. Susan Collins won re-election. She was down massively in the polls. So listen, Democrats, this is what happens when you don't believe in anything and when you just say, we're not them. I'm not Donald Trump. I'm not like these guys. Aren't these guys bad? Aren't I ever so slightly better? That's not a compelling message. If Democrats ran on an actual agenda, if Democrats ran on Medicare for all during a pandemic, living wage, new stimulus checks, universal basic income, then they would have, there would have been a blue wave. And we'll get to this later, but if it was Bernie Sanders versus Donald Trump, Bernie Sanders would have definitely won more comfortably, for sure. I don't think Bernie would have won Sunbelt states like Arizona, which was delivered to Biden because of old suburban retirees, but Bernie Sanders would have picked off Ohio, he would have won Ohio, and he would have won Iowa against Trump. So I think that the lesson to take away from this is This is as good as you were going to do when you don't really believe in anything. This was simply an anti-Trump backlash election. But even with the pandemic and effectively an economic depression, you underperformed. You underperformed against Donald Trump with all of the scandals and all of the problems with Donald Trump. So unfortunately, all the wrong lessons are going to be learned, as I told you guys. The Democrats are already out there blaming the left. Even though the lefties got reelected in gigantic margins, and the blue dogs got wiped out. At least five blue dogs lost re-election. So they're going to learn all the wrong lessons, but that's your job and my job is to correct the record on that and give everybody the facts. Give everybody the facts. Really, in some ways, this was the best possible outcome. It really was. Why? Because Biden won, but he kind of eked it out. And it, it, it is... Honestly, this is as close as you can get to a validation of populist left politics. Because what this shows is, yeah, if Trump is bad enough, and he is, sure, you could beat him. But even in a scenario like that, you're not going to win by too much because people know you don't really believe in anything. So there you have it. Now, now, um, Trump is, of course, contesting this, but it's going to get nowhere going to get nowhere. If you have to drag him out of the White House kicking and screaming, he's, thro- he's throwing a toddler's tantrum. For the past few days, he's been acting like, you know, the result isn't what the result is, and the people around him are trying to convince him, like, this is Dunzo, son. What are you doing? Um, so he's trying to hang on to power, and God knows what he's going to do in the lame duck session, but it is over, and Joe Biden will be our next president, and there will be colossal gridlock in Washington, D.C., and probably the only things that they're going to get done are more right-wing priorities or center-right priorities. So look out. I fear, the thing I fear the most is a grand bargain. 
I fear they're going to cut Social Security and Medicare and then portray it as, we have to do it, we have no choice, and then act like it's a win, even though it hurts regular Americans. So buckle up for the next four years or so. It, um, it won't be pretty, even though it could have been worse. Okay, next. So I have some final thoughts for everybody on um, the Joe Rogan election special that we did the other night on election night. I had a great time. I had a really great time. I think Tim Dillon is absolutely hilarious. Um, Joe is always such an easy guy to talk to. It's so easy to just flow back and forth with him. He really knows how to and you, I mean, this is one of the reasons why his podcast is the biggest in the world. He just knows how to casually sort of steer a conversation and take it into interesting places. Um, and I think we had a great vibe going that night. A lot of people were, you know, talking about where the hell is Alex Jones. I mentioned this previously, but listen, I don't know, I don't know who's the one who really ultimately said, I'm not going to come. Was it Alex who said that, or was it Joe who told Alex, I don't want you to come? I don't know. I don't know. I just know that apparently Alex was doing his own election coverage. And the more Joe spoke to him, the more it, it popped up at some point where Alex was like, yeah, I'm sorry, I did invite myself the other night. I was kind of drunk when I did that. And, oh, yeah, I forgot I have to do my own election coverage. So I don't know exactly um, what the dynamic was and who was the one who really called it off for him coming, but obviously he didn't end up coming. He didn't pop in or anything like that. Um, a lot of people were upset by that. But also there were a lot of people who weren't. Because, uh, you know, keep it real, the night was a hell of a lot more educational and informative without him there. Because I could give facts and not have to worry about a bulldozer, you know, driving over me to, to make some sort of insane point about how there's this giant conspiracy going on and the election is being stolen from Trump in real time or whatever, you know. So uh, it would have been interesting if he was there because that dynamic would have been wild. I don't know how him and I would have vibed because... I'm generally a nice guy, but if I hear him saying certain things that I know are just not true, I can't let it slide. So I don't know what the vibe would have been like. Maybe it would have been magic. Maybe it would have been abysmal. But, you know, at the end of the day, it was just Tim Dillon, myself, and Joe Rogan. And um, I think it went really well. The numbers for it were out of this world. You know, we were beating some of the major networks. I mean, I know that's a crazy thought, but it's true. We were. Um, And I have to say, looking back at it now... Even I'm impressed with how right I was on a lot of the stuff I said. (laughs) Now, listen, I don't want to give myself too much credit because if it's not even me, I'm just relaying the information from the experts that I read on it. I'm just a conduit for the information. So, you know, if you read the comments now on the video, it's all like, oh, my God, Kyle was exactly right. Kyle was exactly right. How the hell did he get it so right? Kyle was exactly right. But really, it wasn't me. It was the fact that I read these, these analysts and these experts who explained exactly what was going to happen And all I did was went out there and just stuck to my guns and told them, no, this is how it's going to unfold. See, there was a moment. There was a moment where it got dicey in terms of the results because all of the map was all red. The map was all red. And so Joe thought and Tim Dillon, I think, thought like, oh, Trump is going to do it. Trump is going to win reelection. And when Jamie chimed in and said, hey, the odds in Vegas now are that Trump is an overwhelming favorite. And they're basically pitching this to me like, hey, like, you're kind of wrong. So, so what do you think? Because you say Biden was going to win. What do you think? And I told them, listen, 
they're counting the mail, uh, excuse me, they're counting the on the election day votes first in a lot of these states where, where Trump has a big lead. We know that he's going to lead the votes that happen on election day. They didn't even count the mail-ins yet. Once they count the mail-ins, guys, they were going, depending on which state you look at, they were going 60%, 70%, in some cases up to 85% for Biden with the mail-in votes. Even in like conservative areas, it would be like 65% for Biden with the mail-in votes. So when you count all the on-the-day votes first, of course Donald Trump is going to have a big lead. So anyway, we were looking at the map, and you saw like, oh, my God, Michigan is red. Oh, my God, Wisconsin is red. And everybody's flipping out. And I was trying to explain to everybody, those are not even really swing states in this election. Like, those states are going to go to Biden. Not only is Biden up in those states, he's up 8 to 10 points in the average of polls in those states. There's not a prayer for Trump in those states. Even if Trump overperforms, Biden is still going to win by like 2 or 3 points in those states. It's, that's, comfortable. that's a comfortable victory. So I had, to, I had to basically try to correct the record because everybody, everybody was starting to feel like, oh, this is inevitable, this is Trump's going to win, this is what's going to happen, it's just like 2016, the polls are off, this and that. And the most I wavered was, there was one point where they asked me, like it looked like Trump was going to sweep, and they asked me, well, what do you think now? I said, there's still a 65% chance that Biden's going to win because they're counting the on the election day votes first, and then the mail-ins come second, and when the mail-ins come, it's going to flip. It's absolutely going to flip. So... Um, that is what happened. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. And Trump is trying to hang on for dear life, and he's not conceding and this and that. It's done. It's done. You're not going to find. Guys, again, when all said and done, yes, Biden underperformed his polling. He should have won 351 electoral votes. At worst, he should have won 320. He's probably going to win about 306. But, like, even though he underperformed his polls, it's not really a close election. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's the same margin or a similar margin that Trump beat Hillary with the last time. And Trump called that a landslide in his favor. So now it would be the same thing for Biden, but he's not letting go. But, you know, he's got no hope to try to win this thing in court or whatever. He says, oh, count the legal votes, but not the illegal votes. These are le- all these votes are legit. It's the mail-ins. And they counted the mail-ins second in a lot of these states. By the way, the solution to all this is to just count the mail-ins as they come in. So we know on the day we would have had all these states called in the full vote count in already. If, if these states allowed it so that when the mail-ins come, you count it as it comes in, Florida already does that. The rest of the states could do that. By the way, it was Republicans who said, no, don't do that. Count them after, not as they come in. It was Republic, the Republicans run these states that did that. And now they turn around and complain about the vote. You guys set it up. You guys set it up. And also, for the record, even in Georgia, Republicans are in control of the count, and they're like, yeah, there's no evidence of fraud whatsoever. So Biden's up about 10,000 votes. He's probably going to finish it up about 10,000 votes. Even if we recount it, Biden's going to be up. So anyway, listen, I had a great time with Joe. I had a great time with Tim Dillon. Um, I really had fun. I think the night was very informational. Um, I also think that to the extent we talked about other stuff, and we did. We got into a lot of other stuff. I had a great time doing that, too. You know, as I said, I could sit there and, and, and vibe with Joe all night, vibe with Tim Dillon all night. They have a really great chemistry, too. It almost feels like, um, you know, Rogan and Dylan is kind of like Howard Stern and, and um, what the fuck's his name? Why did I just blank on his name? I know this guy. I know this guy well. Art, Ari? No. What the fuck is his name? Howard Stern, former co-host. How am I blanking on this? I know this guy. Wait for it. 
This is going to drive me fucking crazy. For the love of God, Kyle Edward Kalinske, Artie Lang, Artie Lang, Rogan and Tim Dillon, they have a vibe like Howard Stern and Artie Lang. So I feel like if they wanted to make it a more, you know, consistent, long-term thing where Tim Dillon is there all the time, it just, the vibe works really well. So instead of Joe talking to just the guest, it could be Joe, Tim Dillon, and the guest. I think that, um, I think that that would really work well, but I don't know if that's what Joe wants to do. I'm just throwing it out there that this is what the dynamic reminds me of. But anyway, um, I had a really great time, and, you know, we'll, uh, we'll probably – I don't know if he'll want to do this in the future. Flying with COVID was really not fun. I had my mask on the whole time, and it was a pain in the ass. But, um, yeah, I always look forward to doing uh, Joe Rogan's podcast and the election special really – Really, my previous record in terms of how many people watched, it was like, you know, it's anywhere from 1 million to maybe 2 or 3 million people that usually watch my, my Rogan podcast on YouTube. On YouTube alone, obviously with the other, you know, outlets, it gets a hell of a lot more. This one was getting 700,000 live as it was happening. And then now you go look at it, it's about 10 million people who've seen it. So this really crushed, you know, my previous record. And uh, I'm just happy that I, I was able to give people, you know, a, a little more of a, a solid understanding as to how it was going to unfold. And, uh, again, I had a great time, and I look forward to, in the future, I'm sure we'll do more. can't believe I blanked on Artie Lang. Okay, next. Okay. Donald Trump is refusing to concede the election. Trump aides are plotting an intervention to tell him he has no hope of winning. So this is something that's been out there for a few days now. You've had people taking turns. Jared was one. I think Ivanka was another. Maybe you had uh, his chief of staff. Although I don't know if Mark Meadows did it because Mark Meadows currently has COVID. So who knows if he was one of the people who uh, was trying to convince Trump. But a number of people. Melania is another one that they said tried to convince him. Although she did send out a confusing tweet that almost seemed like she was siding with him with, oh, legal and illegal votes or whatever. But um, – yeah, people are trying to tell him, listen, bro, this, it's Dunsky. Like, you're, well, you're, you're actually, what you're doing is kind of embarrassing. Like, the final margin is going to be Biden beating Trump by about the same amount that Trump beat Hillary in terms of the Electoral College. So it's going to be 305, 306, 307 electoral votes around there, right? So Trump called that a landslide when he did it. Now Biden's doing that to him, and it's, oh, my God, it's fake. It's fraudulent. Count the legal votes, not the illegal votes. They're legal. All of them are legal. This is all, it's mail-ins. Guys, we told you in advance what was going to happen. It was going to look like the Republicans were winning because they count the on-the-election-day votes first, which always skew Republican. And as the mail-ins come in, they skew massively Democratic. And then Biden's going to overtake the lead. Like, what did Trump think, that he was actually up in Michigan and Wisconsin? These are 
states that had him down 8 to 10 points going into Election Day. The fact that he was up on Election Day was a mirage. It's not real. He didn't count the, the mail-in votes yet. So all, I mean, it's crazy that he's not digesting it. By the way, I saw another article that was like, um, he'll, do, he'll agree to a peaceful transition of power if certain conditions are met. Nobody's asking you, bro. That's not the way this works. www.getoutthewayorg Nobody cares. Oh, here's what I'm demanding. It doesn't matter what you demand. You're done. It's not how this works. You don't get to, you know, you don't get to decide and casually override the way the system works. So, listen, is it, on the one hand, it's hilarious that this is happening, but on the other hand, it is kind of scary. Now, will the machinery kick in and will he ultimately be gone? Yeah, but, I mean, an American president who's just refusing to acknowledge the objective reality, even when... You have George W. Bush, Mitt Romney. You have world leaders, world leaders who are even Trump's closest allies, like, like Modi in India. These people are sending out congratulations uh, tweets to Kamala Harris and, and Joe Biden, our top allies. Everybody, everybody's like, well, yeah, this is, you know, reality is what it is. So we're going to go ahead and move right along here. He's still holed up in the Oval Office reading World Net Daily articles about how the entire election is fraudulent, and he's trying to sue his way to victory. My dude, what, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You're going to sue in Nevada, where you're going to lose incredibly comfortably? You're going to sue in Arizona, where, again, you're going to lose relatively comfortably? You're going to sue in Pennsylvania and Georgia? There's too many states for you to, like, if it was just one state, maybe him throwing a tantrum and suing like crazy and trying to steal it, maybe it would work. But there are too many states. There's, you know, four or five states you're going to try to get the, the result flipped in all of those? Like, what, what are you talking about? What are you doing? What are you doing? So I don't know what's going to happen from here. Is he going to keep throwing a tantrum? Is he going to still refuse to concede? Is he going to do a typical Trump thing where, you know, he might do the, and in fact, I think this is probably likely, at some point the reality will set in and he'll do the, you can't fire me, I quit routine. Or he might do the, like, even though the election result is wrong, I'm going to be the bigger man. <laughs> he, might, he might do something like that. But listen, I mean, really all of his most negative qualities are coming out now that he lost. I mean, he's the sorest loser on the planet. Um, he really is throwing, like, a toddler-like tantrum. And the funny thing is, so anecdotally, people in my circle – who were Trump supporters, you talk to them, and they're already over it. They're like, yeah, he lost. So there's not, I mean, I think he's in for a rude awakening if he thinks that, you know, like people are really with him on that. Don't get me wrong. He's going to have some percentage of his supporters are always going to do the, oh, my God, it was stolen. Oh, my God, he was robbed. I'm ride or die. Trump for life. But I'm starting to think that that number is smaller than what I previously thought. Because, again, I knew people who were really pro-Trump who are just like, I mean, he lost. What are you going to do? He lost. So I don't know. Again, the reason I'm doing this segment is to just give you the facts about how he's still refusing to concede. But I don't know what's going to happen from here other than at some point he's going to have to be dragged out kicking and screaming. By the way, will will he go to the inauguration? like all the previous presidents who lost? Probably not. 
Probably not. He's going to cause a lot of chaos for the Republican Party moving forward because he's still the heart of the Republican Party in terms of the base. And so if he, when he eventually is out of there and he could start Trump TV Network, he could steal Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity from Fox News. This is stuff that's been reported that he might do it. And then you really do have this fracture in the Republican Party, man, where you have the Trumpists versus the establishment wing. And they could be, even though they agree on policy, for the most part, they could butt heads just because culturally they're so different. And there's a real class divide there, too. The establishment Republicans are more wealthy and, or upper, upper middle class, whereas the Trump people are more the working class GOP people who are ruthlessly partisan. So I don't know, but, I, you know, it's not – it does feel gross that you have this guy who lost, and he just refuses to be an adult about it. I was joking the other day. I tweeted, Donald Trump seems like a guy who handles rejection well. <laughs> Literally the last person on the planet who handles rejection well. But I guess final point, I know there are some people who see the way he's acting and they think it's like macho. How could you possibly believe that? This is the weakest, most beta shit of all time. It's like when he didn't go... In, in 2016, when he didn't go to one of the Republican debates, because he said, like, Megyn Kelly treats me very, very unfairly, so I'm not going to go. People thought that was like, some people, his people thought it was like alpha, macho type move. That's the weakest thing I've ever seen. You, you know, you're taking your ball and going home, basically. So, there you have it. I hope the intervention gets through. I hope he comes to his senses. But I'm not holding my breath, and I'm really just, sitting and watching it unfold like the rest of you, who the hell knows what's going to happen. What is going to happen to the Republican Party moving forward? This is a really interesting question. Mick Mulvaney, Trump's former chief of staff, said the following. Trump will run for the presidency again if he loses. He already lost. He'll run for the presidency again. The president could mount a challenge again in 2024 or 2028. Uh, listen, if he's going to do it, I don't think he's going to do it in 2028. I think he would do it in 2024. That's what I think. Um, in some ways, we should all be rooting for this because, as I alluded to previously, in the same way we have a civil war within the Democratic Party, you have the left and you have the corporatists or the establishment types, the business as usual, the triangulators, right? In the same way, we have really serious fractures in the Democratic Party, and we just don't see eye to eye at all. You're going to have the same thing in the Republican Party, except worse, except worse. Now, you might say, well, hold on, Kyle. They all agree on policy, so does it really matter? Yes, it absolutely matters because the rift they have is more cultural than policy-based. And when it's more cultural, and you guys will know this because you see the way the culture war has been raging in this country for so long, you're actually at each other's throats even more because you're going to have the Mitt Romney types. You're going to have the establishment types. The, the elite Republicans, the establishment Republicans, 
they just want to get past Trump. They view him as embarrassing. They view him as embarrassing because of the mean tweets and because of the no filter. And they just want that gone. They want the filter back on. They want the civility and the decorum and things of that nature. But Trump is not going to let this go. And Trump is going to rile up his base. Trump's base is the base of the Republican Party. And it's more the, the working class Republicans who are rigidly partisan. Whereas the establishment Republicans represent the moneyed interest. Now, Trump also represents the moneyed interest in terms of policy. But in terms of culturally, no, 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 no. There's a class divide in the Democratic Party. And, and the lower income Republicans are going to break more for Trump. And the upper middle class and the rich Republicans are going to break more for Jesus, just give me somebody like Mitt Romney. So Trump doesn't handle rejection well. I think it's likely he runs again in 2024. And if he runs again in 2024, let me ask you a question, guys. Who the hell is going to beat him on the Republican side? Who's going to beat him? Who's going to beat him? They're trying to push out there Nikki Haley. You think Nikki Haley is going to beat Donald Trump? <laughs> My ass cheeks. Oh, please, Nikki Haley. Hell out of here. You think, oh, the next one that they're pushing, they say Tom Cotton, because he represents more of the, the MAGA you know, strain of political thought where he's a little bit more protectionist, for example, on trade and things of that nature. But no, I'm not buying that at all, at all. Because he's, he's as hawkish as possible, too. Trump at least gave the rhetoric of anti-war stuff. Tom Cotton is as hawkish as it gets, and he's in, in favor of torture. He's argued for torture previously. And he also has the personality of a dirty diaper. Are you kidding me? Listening to Tom Cotton talk, I, I'm more entertained by watching paint dry than listening to Tom Cotton talk. You think Tom Cotton is going to beat the big man? Tom Cotton. Get out of here. Even the more polished versions of the Trump philosophy, to the extent there is one. But you know, you know what I mean. It, this is Josh Hawley. Josh Hawley represents that, the more polished version of Trumpism. Josh Hawley is not going to beat Donald Trump in a primary. It's not going to happen. Mike Pence, if anything, is next in line to be the Republican nominee. And Mike Pence obviously isn't going to beat Donald Trump. If he runs in 2024, he gets it locked up, gets the GOP nomination locked up. And that puts the Republicans in a terrible spot because they want to go past the Trump era. The establishment Republicans want that, and they're not going to be able to if he decides, no, I'm going to do this. So in some ways, you should be rooting for Trump at this point. He already lost. Biden is going to get in there come hell or high water. So now sit back and watch the chaos unfold. Because listen, they love nothing more than to watch the left and the center go at it in the Democratic Party. They love it. They love it. They love it. Every time we fight with Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer, they're like yummy, yummy in my tummy. They love that. They want us to be at our throats. And by the way, listen, we have to. Like, we need to win this civil war within the Democratic Party. But now they got one of their own. And it can really, really fracture them moving forward. So even though they agree on policy, the cultural stuff will override the policy stuff. And they'll be at each other's throats. And I am really interested to see how that unfolds. But listen, don't take it from me. Take it from Mick Mulvaney, his former chief of staff. This guy does not handle rejection well. He has a chip on his shoulder. He feels like they all look down on him because they do. And so he'll be like, okay, fine. I'm going to run again in 2024.
Go ahead, try to stop me. You're not going to be able to. <laughs> the season finale of America is getting pretty wild. Okay. Let's do the Van Jones segment. When we got the news that Joe Biden won, Van Jones was on CNN, and uh, he cried. He cried. I want to show you that video, then I have a lot to say about it. Van, what are your thoughts? Uh, it's, um... Well, it's easier to be a parent this morning. It's easier to be a dad. It's easier to, it's easier to tell your kids character matters. It matters. Telling the truth matters. Being a good person matters. And it's easier for a whole lot of people. If you're Muslim in this country, you, you don't have to worry if the president doesn't want you here. If you're an immigrant, you don't have to worry if the president's going to be happy to have babies snatched away or send dreamers back for no reason. too much of an ass here. Um, I'm probably going to, but I don't want to be too much of an ass here. So here's the thing. Did I feel a sense of relief when Donald Trump lost? I did. I did. And in fact, I felt more of a relief than I thought I would. I really thought like I'm totally dead inside. Whatever happens, I'm going to be like, this is dumb. <laughs> or Good things aren't going to happen no matter what. That's what I thought I would feel like. But no, when Trump lost, I did get this sense of, yeah, it is true that the, lesser, the, the uh, greater evil is on the way out here. Biden's still evil, but I do think Trump is a greater evil. And if you go through their entire policy agenda, I think that's pretty clear. So I did have a little bit of a sense of relief. So I'm not going after him for feeling that sense of relief. Because, again, I kind of agree with that sense of relief. Um, my issue is crying, crying. Like, this is not, let's not pretend like this is anything more than the greater evil lost, but this new guy is still immensely evil. 
let's not pretend that Biden is better than he is, which leads me to where I'm going to be a dick, which is I'm going to dissect the points he made. He starts out by saying character matters, telling the truth matters. Character matters, telling the truth matters. Joe Biden is a proven liar. That's not saying Trump isn't. Of course Trump is as well. But guys, even during the campaign, he lied about, you know, going to see Mandela or something. Remember that? And this was right before a state with a giant black population voted. You know, when he, when he was out of the race, when he lost the race, the primary, in the late 1980s, there was a big scandal about how he lied about every aspect of his record. You know, he lied about, I finished in the top of my class, I have this number of degrees. And then people went and tracked down, and they were like, none of that is true. You didn't finish in the top of, uh, top of your class, you finished near the bottom of your, of your class. You don't have the degrees that you say you have. He, very famously, he was plagiarizing quite a bit. You know, that's a form of lying, right? I don't think it's the biggest deal in the world, but it's a form of lying. But beyond that, the, like the character matters stuff. Why are you acting like he didn't support the crime bill and the bankruptcy bill and the Iraq war? You can't say he's a, a man of good character. You could say he has maybe better character than Trump. That's fair. You can't say he's a man of good character. He's just not. See, this is what I'm, I'm, I'm going to hate throughout the, the Biden years. They're going to make him seem like he's better than he is. And that's just dishonest. That's either ignorant or dishonest. If I'm being kind, I give you the benefit of the doubt, and I say ignorant. Um, then he goes on, if you're Muslim, you don't have to worry anymore. He voted for the Iraq war. He supports the drone war that Obama was waging when he was the vice president. You know, why are we acting like he didn't help continue these wars? He did. He did. Yeah, they're going to roll back the, the Muslim ban in terms of, you know, them coming in the country. True. But don't gloss over. Don't act like, oh, now Muslims have nothing to worry about. Nonsense. Nonsense. Um, and then he goes on to say, oh, if you're an immigrant now, this is a lot better for you. Obama and Biden deported more people than Donald Trump. That's a fact. Now, it is true that about 90% of the people that they deported had a criminal record. So you could argue that that's a more reasonable standard where Trump's standard is not as reasonable. That's fair. But Obama was called the deporter in chief and Joe Biden was his vice president. Does he get no strikes against him for this? That he was part of an administration that really broke the record for deportations? Now, again, Biden will be better when it comes to dreamers, for example. Good, I'll give him credit there. He deserves credit there. But don't, they, they take it too far. They take it too far. They act like he's better than he is. He says being a good man matters. He's an establishment politician. He's a swamp creature. Yes, you could say he's a lesser evil. If you go through the records with a fine-tooth comb, I do believe that he's going to do less damage than Trump overall. But don't feed me this line of bullshit. Yes, I felt the sense of relief too, but it was quickly tempered by the fact that I know Joe Biden's record. I know how he's going to govern. He's going to be a neoliberal corporatist. He's going to be somewhat hawkish on foreign policy. The extent, who knows the exact extent, it might vary. You know, it, it could be, in, in some instances, it could be better than Trump. In some instances, it could be worse, worse than Trump, like with North Korea. But don't 
feed me a plate of shit and tell me it's a delicious fudge brownie. It's not. And so I do think the waterworks are a little over the top. Is this completely sincere? I don't know. You tell me. Is this like totally organic or did he go into the segment like, all right, let me, let me, let me, you know, let me really turn on the acting skills just a little bit and oversell this. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to be too much of an asshole and, and pound the gavel. I know that's becoming a thing now, me saying pound the gavel. I don't want to pound the gavel and be like, he faked it. But at the same time, I mean, if this is sincere, that's almost worse. Because it's not, this is very distinctly not the 2008 feel. I was young. I remember that's the first time I voted in, a, in an election, 2008. Voted for Barack Obama over John McCain and Sarah Palin. And everybody felt a real sense of like, oh, my God, we might actually change things for the better. We thought we were getting the new FDR. Instead, we got the new Bill Clinton. But on that day, we felt like, oh, my God, he's going to end the war. He's going to do all these great things. With Biden, there is no hope for like, oh, here are the great things he's going to do. It's more like, oh, my God, thank God, you know, Trump is not going to nuke Botswana. <laughs> like, that was the feeling. So, anyway, um, don't buy into it when they oversell how great Biden is going to be. It's simply not true. All right, let me do one more, and then we'll take a break, and i still got a quadrillion things to get to. Oh, let me pull up the, the video. Here we go. The Morning Joe hosts on MSNBC are slobbering all over Joe Biden, and they're taking shots at Bernie Sanders and what his chances were in this general election. Let's watch, and then I want to correct the record. If you you look at the map, if you look how this election turns out, it becomes extremely clear to me, as clear as it was that the Florida polls were off and the other polls were off, it becomes extremely clear to me leading the data that Joe Biden was the only Democrat capable of threading the needle and getting elected president this year. And even even that uh, uh, depended on Donald Trump uh, 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 botching the worst pandemic in over 100 years. Yeah, and look how thin the line is right now, even for Joe Biden, a centrist. So, yeah, to, to your point, a lot, of, a lot of progressive candidates might not have gotten over this line, Bernie Sanders, namely. But. Yeah, not true. Not true at all. There's a pandemic. Over 230,000 Americans are dead. There's an economic implosion. There's a looming housing crisis. Foreclosure, foreclosures and evictions are going to be through the roof as soon as they get rid of the protections. The idea that other Democrats would have done worse, 
Biden underperformed the polls. Biden was supposed to win anywhere from 351 electoral votes to 320 at the absolute worst. He's going to end up winning about 306. So he underperformed the polls. He won by less than he should have won against, honestly, one of the worst presidents of all time. I think George W. Bush was worse, but Trump is still terrible. So he underperformed, and they're acting like, oh, my God, he's the only one who could have done it. Or, or your analysis is exactly wrong, and any other Democrat could have done better. I do think any other Democrat would have done better, except maybe, I'm trying to think, maybe Mayor Pete, because he's just so goddamn smug that he wouldn't have done it. But I think even like Amy Klobuchar, who's the most, one of the most boring people on the planet, I think Amy Klobuchar would have beaten Trump. Now, in, in terms of Bernie, not only am I convinced he would have beaten Trump, I think he would have won a lot more comfortably in terms of the margins in the states that he needed. So, you know, Biden's kind of eking it out, two points here, three points here, in some of the, some of the uh, important states. I think Bernie would have had much more comfortable margins in the industrial Midwest, for example. So I actually did a map and said, okay, what do I actually think would have happened with Bernie? So I do think Bernie would have lost Arizona. Because the reason Biden won Arizona is because of, like, suburbanite white people who are, like, retirees and somewhat wealthy. So Bernie would not have won Arizona. Um, and I don't think Bernie would have won Georgia. But, but Bernie definitely would have won Iowa, which Biden lost. And Bernie definitely would have won Ohio, which Biden lost comfortably. So when you do the map, I think worst case scenario for Bernie is 304. And actually, there's a decent chance because of Chuck Rocha, who does this amazing Latino outreach. Remember when, when uh, Bernie crushed in Nevada, just destroyed the competition. Why? Largely because of the unions and largely because of uh, the Latino vote. Texas has a colossal Latino population. And ultimately, Trump's going to end up winning Texas by about six points, which is pretty solid victory. If you gave Chuck Rocha the, the time he needed for Texas, and they really invested on the ground there, I think Bernie could have possibly flipped Texas, because he does so much better with Latinos than Joe Biden does. So, listen, in the primary, Biden did beat Bernie in Texas, but again, if you have the time in the general election, and you get Chuck Rocha on the ground there, that Bernie message is a lot more appealing than that Biden message. I do think it's possible Bernie could have maybe taken Texas from Trump, and then we're talking 342 electoral votes for Bernie. So Bernie would have gotten anywhere from 304 to 342, and I think the margins in the states that he needed, he, it would have been a lot more comfortable, because Bernie was beating Trump in every single poll. And also Bernie stands for, stands for something, stands for an agenda that's wildly popular, especially at a time like right now, where we have a pandemic, and we have an economic implosion, and we have a looming housing crisis. This guy's got the solutions. All Joe Biden had was Donald Trump is bad. Yeah, we agree, he's bad. But what are you actually going to do? What are you going to do? So, um, man, this is annoying. Because Biden underperformed, Trump overperformed, and their takeaway is like, oh, Biden's the only one who could have won. Or other Democrats not only would have won, they would have won more comfortably. Because, again, this is a referendum on Trump, right? So other Democrats could have won. Now imagine if it's a referendum on Trump and you have a candidate who's actually pushing for solutions to our problems. And by the way, they ran the, the playbook they would have run against any Democrat. Oh my God, socialist. Oh my God, communist. Oh my God, so scary. 
it's not, it wouldn't work on any of them. Because I got news for you. When everything is falling apart and you make the argument, my opponent is so radical, he wants to really change stuff. That's going to help your opponent, of course, because things are terrible. People don't like the status quo. They don't want the status quo. They want big change. They want radical change. So if Trump were to go out there and argue, oh, Bernie's a socialist, he'll be like, yeah, I want to give people health care. Guilty. Next question. Like, this is what would happen, and he would have won by a more comfortable margin. Jesus Christ. So um, this is annoying me because all the evidence that we have, just so you know, indicates that the further left you are, not just in safe districts, but also in swing districts, the further left you are on economic stuff, the more likely you are to win. There was an analysis that was just released on this exact question. Every single Democrat who supported Medicare for All won re-election. Now, you might say, yeah, but what about the swing districts? I bet that number goes down. No, it doesn't. The Democrats who supported Medicare for All in swing districts won comfortably. It was the blue dogs who got wiped out. It was the corporatists who got wiped out. So the evidence shows this is what you have to do. You go left on economic issues. Now, I would describe that as moderate, but you go left on economic issues. That's how you win. And they're, they're flipping that on its head. Why? Because they're hacks. These are corporate hacks. No matter what happened, they were going to say the same thing. Left is bad. Center is awesome. Let's change absolutely nothing, even though the country is imploding. It's going to get us nowhere, and that will bring you eventually a President Tucker Carlson or somebody just like that. All right. We've got a lot more to get to. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to have a, a lot of fun because there's still a thousand things that uh, I'm interested in discussing with you lovely people. Stay right there, y'all. We'll be right back.
right, bitch. I'm back, y'all. I am back, I am back. And I am ready to laugh. Because that is what's going to happen with this next one. You're going to get a kick out of this. <laughs> oh, what is this world coming to? <clears throat> this very well may be one of the funniest Trump stories of all time. It's not Trump himself. This is, you know, him and his people around him, his entire staff, his entire campaign. Um, Take a look at this. Trump sparks confusion after announcing press conference at small landscaping firm. President initially said the briefing would be held at major hotel before correcting himself. So Trump tweeted, big press conference at the Four Seasons. Then he deleted it. Then he said, big press conference at Four Seasons Landscaping. Or it was Four Seasons Total Landscaping is, I believe, the name of the business. You see this? They wanted to do a press conference at the Four Seasons Hotel And one of their people accidentally booked it at Four Seasons Total Landscaping. This is the most appropriate way of all time for the Trump administration to come to an end. It's just so appropriate. It's like you got a whole bunch of idiots who are in over their heads and they're just like barely scraping by and... You know, they're you got a bunch of idiots who just shouldn't be anywhere near any position of power. That's what this is. By the way, the press conference was just as bonkers as the surrounding situation. Rudy Giuliani's up there. They did this press conference like right at about the time that all the networks called the race for Joe Biden. And Giuliani was up there like, oh, so now I guess the media declares who the president is. Well, you know what? I don't think they do. Oh, all the networks did it. Oh, okay. At one point he asked, he's like, which networks? And presumably they say every single network. He's like, oh, so all of them did it? Just so you understand, the issue here is Trump's surrounded by a bunch of morons, by a bunch of, you know, con artists. You could argue Trump himself, and Tim Dillon actually describes Trump this way, and I think he's spot on. Trump is arguably the most successful con artist of all time. But he's surrounded by other small-time con artists. And so they're in over their head. And when something like this happens you realize what the actual dynamic was behind the scenes. Behind the scenes, Trump just outsourced all of the real decisions to the people who he thought were the experts. And this is why he brought in Gary Cohn, Steve Mnuchin, Wall Street people all throughout his cabinet dealing with the economy. When it came to foreign policy, who did he bring in? He brought in John Bolton. He brought in Mike Pompeo. 
Gina Haspel. These are all neocon war criminals. So, you know, he does this branding thing where he goes out there and it's like, MAGA, and I'm the, you know, I'm the best, I'm amazing, I'm the outsider, everything's corrupt, I'm not corrupt, I'm going to fix everything, it's going to be amazing. That's what he does. And behind the scenes, he's like, hey, dog, look, I don't know what I'm doing. None of my people know what we're doing. So you guys just do your normal thing and keep everything functioning. And again, he was saying this to neocons, and he was saying this to Wall Street people, thinking like, oh, they're the experts, they'll handle everything, as I just go around the country and do my rallies and stuff like that. Well, now you see, see, they have moments where the mask slips, and you're like, oh, okay, it was amateur hour from day one. Who books four seasons of total landscaping? Like, it didn't give you pause for a second. Whoever booked this, whatever low-level staffer or high-level staffer booked this, you didn't think, like, obviously this is not what they're referring to. Obviously they want the four seasons. And then, by the way, they came out with some sort of ridiculous excuse, like, no, but I mean, the thing was, the place that, it, it, this was right off the highway, and we needed a place right off the highway in order to, spare me, son, spare me. <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous. Oh, man. It's just, it just really is the most appropriate way for Trump to go out. Started his, uh, started his political career going down that, uh, that escalator. Ends it with a press conference at Four Seasons Landscaping, where at some point they committed to it, right? At some point they were like, fuck, we wanted the hotel. We got the landscaping place. It's too late to get the hotel. What do we do? follow through with it (laughs) so it looks like this oh it's too perfect it's too funny republicans are rushing to use biden's win to slam the left so these people want more say in the direction of a biden administration than the actual base of the democratic party they want to override democrats this is john Kasich, former former republican governor Um, and you have Mitt Romney also you're going to see. Let me play this for you, and then we'll talk about it. Uh, I'm not going to talk about my vote. That's in the rearview mirror. I'm going to talk now about uh, how I can work with the new president. Uh, I I know he's on the other side of the aisle, but I want to make sure that we conservatives keep on fighting to make sure that we don't have a Green New Deal, we don't get rid of uh, gas and coal and, and oil, uh, that we don't have a Medicare for All plan put in place, that we don't raise taxes on American enterprise, that would kill the economy. So, uh, look, I, I, I congratulate him, but I'm not going to uh, put aside conservative principles. We're going to fight for the things that we believe in. Now is the time for Democrats, and I believe Joe Biden will do this, to begin to listen to what the other half the country has had to say. But we have to listen to what those folks, those Republicans, all across this country has had to say. The best thing that's happened to Joe Biden is the fact that the United States Senate is either going to be Republican or very close, and the far left can push him as hard as they want. And frankly, the Democrats have to make it clear to the far left that they almost cost him this election. And that congresswoman from Virginia warned the Democrats, you want to talk about defunding the police, you'll have no support. And I think this is an opportunity for Biden to talk about you know, the center-right and the center-left of this country and what can be achieved. Because we have enormous problems with debt, Social Security, Medicare, health care, 
little steps, little steps. One other thing, one Democrat told me at some point, if they had been more clear in rejecting the hard left, they would have appealed more to Americans who I believe essentially live in the middle. So I think actually he's in a better position today because being pulled from the left isn't going to work. I need everybody to understand how wrong that is. This is from Common Dreams. Every single one, Ocasio-Cortez notes every Democrat who backed Medicare for All won re-election in 2020. The same cannot be said for those more centrist lawmakers who continue to defend the nation's increasingly unpopular for-profit health care system. Now, you might say, yeah, but weren't they all in safe districts? So, of course, the Democrats were going to win. <laughs> Wrong. Even in swing districts. In swing districts, Medicare for All supporters swept. Swing districts. To give you some examples, Jared Golden Ann Kirkpatrick, Mike Levin, Katie Porter, Susan Wild, Matt Cartwright. So if you support Medicare for All, you win. That's what happened. That's what happened. The blue dogs and the corporatists lost. That's what happened. So it is untrue to go out there and say, oh, the far left almost cost them this election. Really? Ilhan Omar increased turnout. Rashida Tlaib increased turnout and delivered their respective states to Joe Biden. John Kasich, Ohio, who did Ohio go to again? It's supposed to be a swing state. Who did it go to? It went to Donald Trump. You did not deliver your state to Joe Biden. So how about you, www.shutup.org? They're, they're going to try to control the direction of this administration, and you know what? Biden's probably going to listen he kind of agrees with them. His politics are closer to John Kasich than to Bernie Sanders, for sure. Um, between him and Romney, they say, oh, listen, I just want to make sure we don't have a Green New Deal. Again, imagine this mindset when we had the 1929 stock market crash and the Great Depression. Imagine this mindset. I just want to make sure we don't have a New Deal. Let's not do a New Deal. Definitely not a New Deal. The New Deal helped save the country, helped save the economy, gave people jobs, income, helped build our, our middle class, which was the envy of the world at the time. I mean, come on. So railing against the Green New Deal, Romney says, I, I want to make sure we don't have Medicare for all. I want to make sure we don't get off of oil and gas. Kasich says, Democrats, what's the lesson from this election? That Democrats have to listen to Republicans. Really? That's the lesson? Pretty sure that's not the lesson, and you just made that up. By the way, when Trump beat the other Republicans, when Trump beat you, was that a message from the voters? Hey, we like what Trump has to say about not cutting Social Security and Medicare. We like what Trump has to say about not outsourcing jobs, about getting out of the wars. Was that the message then? No, you didn't say that. You didn't say that at all. And now somehow when Biden wins, the message you think voters are sending is listen to Republicans, namely people like you? No, 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 no. Obviously, the message is, hey, we like Medicare for all because polls show 70% of the American people support it and the pro-Medicare for all lawmakers swept. Funny how that's not your takeaway. It's almost like you're a hack and you're working backwards from your conclusions. 
Um, and then, by the way, he really shows you exactly where his head is as he keeps talking there because he slips in the issues he cares about. He's like, oh, we need to make sure that we address our problems. Like, we got to do something about the debt, and we got to do something about Social Security and Medicare. Do you see what his priorities are? His priorities are let's address the debt and the deficit, which, by the way, economists will tell you right now that's the last thing you should do. Why? Because our economy is imploding. You need government spending. You need stimulus. You need to make sure that a recession doesn't become a depression. The last thing you should do is try to balance the budget or reduce the deficit or the debt. Are you kidding me? We just gave $5 trillion to corporations. You weren't saying anything about the debt then. You weren't saying anything about the debt when they did the Trump tax cuts, added $2 trillion to the deficit, deficit spending to finance the rich to give them more money that they don't need. You didn't say anything then, but now that, oh, my God, we, we need another stimulus check for the American people. Now, all this, oh, my God, the debt, the deficit, we can't. I don't know. I, this is crazy. We can't keep going down this path. And when he says Social Security, Medicare, he means cut it. Cut it. That's what he means. This is how he wants to work with Biden. Let's cut benefits for working Americans. This is what he means. By the way, they're going to try to dress it up. They're going to try to be like, oh, no, what I mean is reform. We've got to reform these programs. Not cut it, reform it. Reform always means effective cut. That's what it means. And he knows he's got a partner in Joe Biden because Joe Biden has repeatedly tried to do the grand bargain, which is cutting Social Security and Medicare, and then they'll present it to the American people as if it's some sort of victory and as if they're saving these programs for the long run. So look out. These guys are sharks, and they're going to try to control the direction of this administration, and they're probably going to succeed in that because Joe Biden's politics are very, very close to John Kasich's. And the amount of disdain they have for the left should be eye-opening to you. And this is why I said all along, the left should not just go along to get along with Joe Biden. You need to get concessions. You need to get guaranteed concessions on paper, on the record. Bernie Sanders saying, oh, I hope I could be labor secretary or whatever. You should have demanded that before you dropped out and started campaigning for him, you weakling. Brings me no pleasure to say this, but he doesn't know how power functions. He's, oh, I'll do for them, and then maybe they'll do for me. They never do. They never do for you, ever. So I, I'm, if you can't tell, I'm frustrated. And I'm frustrated also because of, you know, even like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez giving these interviews, talking about, oh, we need to unify and come together. Every single corporate goon in D.C. just spent the last week shitting on you relentlessly and blaming you for losses, and it's not even your fault at all. The Medicare for All people won, so you won, but they're blaming you, and then you turn around and your answer is, we need to unify? Fight back. Use the bully pulpit. They're going to blame you no matter what. So you can, oh, Mama Bear Nancy Pelosi. Don't be a pawn in their game. Don't be a pawn in their game. They're always going to blame you publicly, even though they'll pat you on the head behind the scenes to try to keep you in line. Throw around your weight. Go after them. If they deny you a committee assignment because you're going after them, call it out. There's a, a, a democratic civil war, and only one side is actually fighting it. The corporatists are fighting it against the left, and the left is like, oh, gosh, golly, wouldn't it be nice if we got along? It was never like you could hold hands and work with these people because these people are all like John Kasich, Bernie, AOC. They're all like John Kasich. 
the sooner you recognize the corporate Democrats are your enemy, the sooner you adopt the proper approach to this, which is throw your weight around. They're your enemy. There's a reason why all the Republicans ran against Nancy Pelosi and then won as they ran against her. And she has the nerve to turn around and say, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is why we lost. Then why are all these Republican ads, why do they have you in them? She's way more unpopular than AOC. Are you kidding me? Especially on the policies. Let's wake up here. Let's wake up here. And now everybody was saying, oh, my God, we'll hold Joe Biden accountable starting day one. First of all, you should have never not held him accountable. (laughs) You should have never said, like, oh, I'll hold my fire. Why? Why? Because Trump's bad? Yeah, I got it. Trump's bad. You could say Trump's bad also saying Biden's pretty shitty, too. But, okay, now now he's in. What are you going to do? And I know the dynamic. I know what's going to happen. I know that now, still, anytime you criticize Biden, you'll be accused of helping Republicans. Because I've seen this movie before. I lived through you know, 2008 and throughout the entire Obama years. I've seen it all. This idea that like, oh, the second that Biden's in there, now we'll push him left. He's not going left, number one. But number two, when you make these arguments, they're still going to accuse you of helping the Republicans. And they're going to say, well, there's an election, you know, coming up in a few years. So you don't want to hurt Democrats for that election, do you? Sit down and shut up and know your place. So let's wake up. They're waging an assault on the left. Republicans are... Moderate Republicans are, the far right is, and the corporate Democrats are. Correct the record and fight back. Correct the record and fight back. Medicare for all was a winner, and the American people want it. And we have a pandemic. And these ghouls are telling us we can't have universal health care when every other developed country has universal health care. They're liars, and they're corrupt. Okay, next. Oh, my God. Next, next, next. Oh, I didn't have my drink. God damn it. I really need my drink. This is not good. Joe Biden is now president-elect Joe Biden. And I want to take a moment here to go through some of his day one priorities. These are things that we're being told he will do on day one. Now, I'm very critical of Joe Biden. Everybody knows that, you know, um, but I give credit where credit is due because I don't, I'm not working backwards from my conclusion of hating Joe Biden. The reason I hate Joe Biden is because of his record. It's because of the crime bill. It's because of the bankruptcy bill. It's because he supported the Iraq war. But just like I do with Obama, what do I tell you guys about Obama all the time? I say, okay, the things that he did that deserve the most credit, the Iran deal, the Cuba deal. In his second term, he started freeing some nonviolent drug offenders. Credit, 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 credit where it's due. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go after him when he deserves, when he deserves it. I'm going to give him credit. Well, he deserves it. Same thing with Joe Biden. So his day one priorities, how's he doing? Got to keep it real. It looks pretty good. So here we go. Biden's planned executive actions include the following. Rejoin the Paris Climate Accord. That is huge. That is huge. Reverse the Muslim ban. That's been, you know, destroyed seven ways to Sunday. But um, there are still some bans on some countries. He's going to reverse them. Reinstate DACA. So looking out for the dreamers. That's also awesome. Reverse Trump rollback of about 100 Obama health and environmental rules. Listen, guys. Not going to lie. Day one of Biden's administration, or even maybe like the first week of, of Biden's administration, it might be the best of his entire time in office his entire term. 
because this stuff is without a doubt wonderful. This stuff is obviously stuff Trump wouldn't do. He did the opposite, in fact. And this is stuff where substantively Biden is correct. I totally agree with Biden on the Dreamers. I totally agree with rejoining the Paris Climate Agreement. I think that's so important. Um, I agree with all this. You know, there are a lot of things, and we covered this on the show. Trump got rid of rules for uh, coal plants, for example. Experts say now over a million people are going to have poisoned drinking water as a result of Trump rolling back regulations on coal plants. And I gave you all the details. Arsenic, there's like, I gave you the exact issue. I gave you the heavy metals that are going to be contaminating it and told you this is a disaster. Well, now, thankfully, Biden's going to reverse that. About 100 health and environmental rules that Trump got rid of, Biden's going to reinstate on day one. Another thing, by the way, Hassan Rouhani, president of Iran, came out and said, listen, maybe, you know, maybe we work a little something out. You get rid of some sanctions. We inch back towards the Iran deal. We get on a more even footing here. So president of Iran basically signaling, let's do something here to get in a better place. Joe Biden, part of the Obama administration, negotiated the Iran deal. One of the best things he did, if not the best thing that they did, he's much more likely to get off of this war footing with Iran. That's nothing but positive. There are other issues where he's maybe not as good as Trump on foreign policy, like he's more hawkish with North Korea. But in terms of Iran, he's better than Trump, and there's already signs of like, okay, let's work something out here. Now, it's going to be more difficult because, you know, Hassan Rouhani is going to have to deal with the hardliners, going to have to deal with the Ayatollah in Iran. So you got right-wingers there, too, who don't want to deal with America, but we're really crushing their economy right now with sanctions. And I do think it's more likely something gets worked out with Biden as president. So, listen, I give you guys what I view as information, facts, and and tell you my interpretation of it all. And bottom line is, I do think that when you look at the election, when you look at Biden becoming president, it could be the case that his first day or his first week in office is the most productive of his entire time in office. Because it's going to be tough with him. The Senate is not really all that favorable to him. Um, It's going to be tough to get anything done through there. But If he does these executive orders, if he keeps doing whatever he can through executive orders, then I'll keep giving him credit because he he deserves the credit on this, for sure. He's just right. He's right about rejoining the Paris Climate Agreement. He's right about reversing the Muslim ban. He's right about protecting the Dreamers. He's right about getting rid of the Trump deregulation, which increased pollution and increased, you know, issues with water around the country. Like, he wants to make it so the water is not poisoned. That's what his executive order will do when he brings back the regulations on the coal plants, for example. So I'll, I'll always tell you guys the truth. It's not, I'm not out here to just, I'm only going to shit on Joe Biden and only focus on the negative things. No, when he does negative things, I will talk about them, but I'll give you the positive too. And um, yes, there are instances. It is not true. If somebody tries to tell you they're equally bad in every way, that's just not true. That's not true at all. Like, no, there, there are absolutely differences. So you can't say they're equal evils. That's just not true. 
There are more issues where Biden is better than Trump. There's a handful where Trump is better than Biden, when he pulled us out of TPP, for example. Um, the thing with North Korea, where Biden's more hawkish with North Korea. Handful on the Trump side. But there are plenty of things where I'll be giving Biden credit. And this is it right here, man. So it's nice to see a story where, you know, I could read it and go, oh, this is just good. I'm happy that there's a story that we can talk about where I'm just like, hey, this is positive. And <laughs> like, this is just flat out positive. This is good. I like this. This is going to help a lot of people. So, you know. When I get a more comprehensive list, by the way, I will share with you, like, all of the executive orders. And I'm also curious um, how many executive orders he'll end up doing on the Buy America front. Because Trump, when he ran, said he was going to do all these Buy America executive orders, and they were all symbolic. He didn't really do the ones he could have done that would have made a difference in the economy, that would have stopped outsourcing. Biden says he's going to do those. Let's see if he does those as well. They're not on the list here. A little bit of a red flag, but... I guess give them a little bit of time and see what they come up with on that front as well. But credit where credit is due. I like this story quite a bit. Okay, we're going to talk about drugs in a second. Lot to say about drugs. The biggest win on election night is something that not nearly enough people are talking about. I I brought this up the day after the election, um, but I wanted to talk about it more for you guys and, and show you this. Oregon voted yes to decriminalize drugs. That's all drugs, ladies and gentlemen. Small amounts of all drugs have been decriminalized in Oregon. Legalizing marijuana, so this is for recreational use. Arizona, Montana, New Jersey, and South Dakota all voted yes. Legalizing medical marijuana, Mississippi and South Dakota, they all voted yes. They all voted yes. Oregon, legalizing psilocybin, that's magic mushrooms. Yes, they voted yes. In D.C., deprioritize psilocybin. I think this legalizes it, or at least decriminalizes it in D.C. Yes, they voted yes. Drugs had a clean sweep on election night. I hate to say I told you so, but I told you so. When I made the argument, the reason why direct ballot initiatives are awesome is because, as a general rule, people pick the proper side, unless they're propagandized into doing the wrong thing. And that's happened a few times, just to be clear. There have been misleading, you know, ad campaigns that have thrown people in the wrong direction on some of these direct ballot initiatives. But usually, as a general rule, people are more, pretty reasonable. And so they'll usually pick the thing that makes the most sense. Another example, in Florida, um, they voted to raise the minimum wage. They voted to raise minimum wage, and it was over 60%. If I'm not mistaken, in Florida, you need over 60% to get a ballot initiative to pass. And raise the minimum wage got over 60%. This is at the same time that Donald Trump won the state and beat Biden in the state. But raising the minimum wage passed in a direct vote. 
when you give people the option, they usually pick the right thing. And this makes me feel like we need more direct democracy in this country. You know, worst case scenario, we need more direct ballot initiatives in all these states. I don't know what, how many states have direct ballot initiatives, but all of them should have direct ballot initiatives. That's point number one. Point number two is, I've said this a thousand times, I really wish we had some sort of national direct ballot initiative, national direct democracy law, where, you know, every time you vote, every four years when you go vote in a presidential election, you also get to vote on the top three or five issues that made it to the ballot. And then we'd be in a position where people would get to vote directly on should we legalize marijuana. People would get to vote directly on should we raise the minimum wage. People would get to vote directly on should we end the war in Iraq and Afghanistan. And when you give people the option, guys, again, they almost always pick the right thing. I want to say 80 to 85% of the time, people pick the thing that, I, in my opinion, is more reasonable and would do more good for more people. So I love this. I love this. I love this. My favorite thing every election night is looking at the results of the direct ballot initiatives because it always brings a smile to my face. It's always like, oh, look, we won again. So, I mean, what does it tell you also that we get the most positive change when you go directly to the people? What does that tell you? It just, it's another way of demonstrating and showing how corrupt the politicians are. That whenever we rely on them, whenever we expect them to do good things, they never do it. Or they very rarely do it. And the fact that Democrats like eke out these victories, when on the actual issues, the position that's supposed to be the Democratic position is so popular. And they just eke out these victories. It's just, it shows you how out of touch they all are. Out of touch, and they represent donors They represent corporations and billionaires. They're not representing us. If the politicians were representing us, we'd already have a living wage. We already would have ended the wars. We already would have had an infrastructure deal or a Green New Deal. We already would have raised taxes on the rich and corporations. We would already be a thriving social democracy if the politicians represented what we want done. But whenever you give us the option and we get to vote directly on these things, We win. (laughs) So, and in some ways, listen, I'll go even further. In some ways, this even surprises me because I I know that the the marijuana ones are very likely to pass. And I thought, yeah, they, they would pass. I wouldn't have guessed necessarily that the decriminalize all drugs one would pass. I was under the impression that my position, my position goes a little further. I say legalize all drugs, but, um, I honestly, I didn't know that decriminalizing all drugs was something that already, in some instances, is over 50%, already has a majority support. I would have guessed that it's under 50% at this point in time. But at least in Oregon, people were like, no, you should decriminalize all drugs. So, a lot to be happy about here. And um, it shows you that we should maybe use these direct ballot initiatives even more, and we should probably try to get something at the national level, at the federal level. And, um, and by the way, just so everybody understands, this is not... Because one, um, one of the objections to this is, yeah, but if you let people vote directly on everything, they, in theory, they could vote to take away somebody's rights, too. Like, if you let people vote on whether or not black people should be equal citizens to white people, if you let them vote on that in 1960, the population probably would have went the wrong way. See, this is a common, you know, counter-argument to why direct democracy is not good. Here's the problem with that argument. Nobody's arguing we should eliminate the Constitution. 
nobody's arguing, let's do direct democracy and also trash the entire Constitution. Nobody ever said that. I didn't say that. Nobody I know who wants direct democracy ever said that. So what that means is the American people should be able to vote on anything as long as it's not a right, as long as it's not constitutionally protected. So in other words, when you have a Constitution, certain things are off the table. So you can't have the American people vote on whether or not we ban free speech. Because even if you have 70% of the American people say, we don't want free speech anymore, the Constitution protects the right to freedom of speech. So direct democracy is for all the issues that are not already rights, that are not already concrete and set in stone, that are outside of the Constitution. Basically, every issue outside of the constitutional issues should be subject to direct voting, direct democracy. So um, that's my take on it anyway. But listen, I love giving you guys good news, and this absolutely is good news. And it really does give me hope in some ways for the future, because even though you could argue the American people are not necessarily educated in terms of the history of things and facts, like that's almost irrelevant to their political beliefs. Because you don't need to know about the history of the United States or, or how to do math or science. You don't have to be educated in the traditional sense to know that, hey, let's pick things for our country that would be good for most of our country. You know what I mean? So in other words, there's just the, the people are not masochistic. Like They don't want to inflict harm on our other fellow Americans. So even if you're not, even if you're ignorant on historical stuff, you could still vote in a way that makes sense. And in that sense, I have faith in the American people, and perhaps more faith than a lot of people or most people. So anyway, this is great news, and I can't wait for more direct ballot initiatives. Okay, next. Fox News did some election night exit polls, and I don't think they went how they wanted it to. So here we have a a nice screen grab from Fox News. Fox News voter analysis results. You see Jesse Waters on screen there. Voter analysis, national, changing to a government-run health care plan, strongly favor 39%, somewhat favor 33%, somewhat oppose 14%, strongly oppose 15%. So in other words, changing to a government-run health care plan, favor 72%, oppose 29%. 72% want a government-run health care plan. I need you to understand something. That question was phrased to scare people off of saying yes, and they said yes anyway. It's all in the framing, guys. So if you were to say, oh, do you want socialized medicine? <laughs> that makes it more likely people say, no, 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 I don't want that. I don't want that. But if you say, here, I'll give you a more benign framing. Do you want universal health care? People say, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, duh. 
the way they phrase this, I would argue, is perhaps even more nefarious than socialized medicine, government-run healthcare plan, government-run. It sounds like, oh, my God, the government's going to make all the decisions for you, and you can't even pick your doctor. This is crazy. That's what it sounds like. 72% favor, only 29% oppose. We're getting to the point where even when they try to frame it in a misleading way, the correct side wins. Now, that's not a hard and fast rule, just so everybody knows. You will see instances where things are phrased in a misleading way, and the results will be misleading. Um, but this is an instance where people even overrode the misleading framing of it, which is hilarious. Now, I have some more for you. Uh, they were, voters in the Fox News exit polls, they were asked about Roe versus Wade. 71% of the country supports Roe versus Wade. They don't think it should be reversed. They think it should stay as is. Only 29% um, oppose it. U.S. gun laws, this is, a, this is an interesting one. Um, 55% in the Fox News exit poll say this country needs more strict gun laws. 55%. And then another one that's kind of interesting here is um, on illegal immigration, they ask people about a pathway to citizenship, whether or not they want a pathway to citizenship. For immigrants, 72% say, yes, there should be a pathway to citizenship. So they were, I think they were fishing for more conservative answers, and they simply didn't get it, which, you know, gets back to my main thesis, which I've been talking about relentlessly, which is it's kind of sad that Democrats to the extent they're winning, they're just eking out these wins over the Republicans, when Democrats actually have a built-in advantage on the policy issues that they're supposed to believe in. Um, I mean, it, it's, you go down the, down the line, and it's virtually every issue. I mean, maybe there are a handful of ones where the Democratic position or what's supposed to be the Democratic position isn't favorable, but almost all of them, the Democratic position is favorable. And the fact that you know, you eke out victories over Donald Trump and the Republicans outperformed in the Senate, the Republicans outperformed in the House. That really is a testament to how pathetic the Democrats are. Um, because if you're efficient and you're effective and you really believed in these things and fought for them, you'd win in, in honestly, FDR-style landslides in every election. In every election. FDR only lost, like, two states in 1936. Two. Two states. Two. Because people realize, oh, my God, he's helping us. He's fighting for us. He's doing the New Deal. He wants to give people jobs. He, he wants to give people hope. You know, he wants the second Bill of Rights, which is basically an economic Bill of Rights. Give people a right to medical care and a job. I mean, this is, he was crusading for social democracy and maybe even beyond social democracy. You could make an argument he was a democratic socialist, not just a social democrat. So the last time we had a social democratic president, he won four times, and the Republicans had to come up with term limits because they thought we'll never be able to beat these guys again if we don't have term limits. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? And they don't want to tell you that history because then you'd be telling the Democrats, oh, I want you to stand for something. See, the Democratic Party, post-Reagan, and definitely with Bill Clinton and onwards, they became the triangulation party, the centrist party. They almost embraced the label of we're corporatists and we're center-right as opposed to the far-right Republicans. And they viewed that as like, oh, we'll always split the difference, we'll always be above the fray, we'll, we'll always find the middle path, and that's how we win. And now it's just a matter, it's institutional in the sense that they take money from 
the corporations and the billionaires and the donors, and so they feel like they have to represent that philosophy and that ideology. But in terms of what would work better, no, if you went back to your roots, if you went back to being you know, a labor union party, a workers party, that's how you win. That's how you win. Because, you know, listen, we had the era of George W. Bush. We had the era of Donald Trump. We had the era of Barack Obama, who was just Bill Clinton 2.0. And people are screaming for change. People want more change. People want to make us like the rest of the developed world and become more of a social democracy. Give people higher wages. Give people paid time off. Give people health care and education, college. Wipe the student loan debt slate clean. This is what people want. To the, to the point where even Fox News exit polls, which are framed in a misleading way, still yield the result of, we got to go left. We got to go left. So, you know, I, I just, I find it so pathetic. And the Democrats, every single election, they, they have the same takeaway. And I warn you about this in advance. Their takeaway every single election, oh my God, oh my God, we went too far left. Well, hold on. Every single supporter of Medicare for All won re-election, not just in left districts, in swing districts. The Medicare for All supporters outperformed the polls. So what are you talking about? It was never about the empirical reality. It's ideological for them. So no matter what, they're going to say the same thing. Oh, my God, Ilhan Omar, AOC, uh, Rashida Tlaib, evil, bad, terrible, even though they won, even though they won convincingly, even though Medicare for All is popular. Oh, no, no, oh my God, that's, ah, the far left almost lost the election for Biden. Wait a second. Biden is a moderate Republican, and he underperformed the polls. Worst he should have done was 320 electoral votes. He's going to get like 306. And now you're somehow blaming the left? The exact opposite takeaway is the reasonable takeaway. Oh, he was too far right wing, and he didn't really believe in anything. His whole election was, I'm not Trump. His whole campaign was, I'm not that guy. And he, he got a victory. So... No matter what, they're going to say the same thing, and they're going to move further right. And it's my job, and it's your job, to correct the record and show everybody the facts. And again, the facts are so overwhelming that even in misleading polls from Fox News, the reality shines through. Oh, my God. Next. So I don't want to, you know, rain on the parade or anything, but we have to come down to earth and um, realize what we're facing moving forward. So this is from Jeff Stein from a little while ago, um, but it, it, you know, all this still applies. After the election, U.S. faces dark winter. This is what now President-elect Biden is going to face. Enormous unemployment programs for millions expire. Protections for renters, student borrowers, end. The, the Affordable Care Act is going to the Supreme Court, and remember, it's a 6-3 conservative court. Government shutdown would happen on December 11th without action. 40% of restaurants and 66% of hotels face closure. 40% of restaurants and 66% of hotels. One million travel jobs are at risk. This is what we're facing. 
I'll add to this list, by the way, because you guys have seen this number time and time again. So have I. We're looking at 30 to 35 percent of the American people can't pay rent or their mortgage. 30 to 35 percent. We need a new stimulus. We haven't gotten a new stimulus. We probably won't get a new stimulus. We need these protections to continue. I don't know if they're going to continue. And if they do continue them, how long? Because eventually, at some point, they're not going to be there. And then what do people do? Because they can't pay the bills. They're not making money, or they're making less money than they need. And they're not getting a stimulus check. Dark winter is an understatement. It could be the darkest winter of all time. Again, we're looking at an economic situation that it doesn't rival the 2008 subprime mortgage crisis and Great Recession. It rivals the 1929 stock market crash and the Great Depression. That's really what we're looking at. So this is what President Biden is going to face. You know, you could argue that when Obama and Biden came into power in 2008, they were in the worst position of any president going back to the Great Depression and World War II. They were in the worst position. But now Biden is inheriting something that's significantly worse than that. Significantly worse. Now, my fear is, God, I hope I'm wrong. You have no idea how much I hope I'm wrong. My fear is Biden is approaching all of this more like he's a normal president for a normal time. And it's 1992. And, you know, his whole philosophy and ideology and mindset is, I'm going to work with Republicans. I'm going to triangulate. I'm a neoliberal corporatist who will cut deals. I'll cut deals with Mitch McConnell, you know, and we'll prioritize the things that, you know, he was prioritizing in 2012, for example, like, oh, let's try to do cut Social Security and Medicare, call it the grand bargain and act like it's some sort of giant victory. I get the sense, based on everything Biden said, how he ran his campaign, I get the sense he really is going to treat this like a normal presidency for a normal time. And I'll try to get some minor wins like that and then declare himself, you know, a great deal maker. And I don't even have the words to describe how beyond devastating it would be if that's his approach to where we are right now. Because honestly, we have no choice but an FDR-style mobilization to try to defeat the pandemic, save the economy, Climate change as well is a huge thing that obviously needs to be addressed beyond just the Paris Climate Agreement, which he is getting us back in, which is a good thing. You need a colossal New Deal-style undertaking to defeat these problems. You need a New Deal-style approach when it comes to health care. You need a New Deal-style approach when it comes to the economy and infrastructure and a Green New Deal, which he's not in favor of. These numbers are devastating. 40% of restaurants, 66% of hotels face closure. I mean, this is like literally failed state stuff here. And he's going to have a hostile Senate that's only going to want to work on right-wing things and debt fear-monger and deficit fear-monger. So he better, and I don't know if he has it in him, but he would need to have that FDR or Lyndon B. Johnson fuck it streak where he's like, I'm going to do what I need to do to keep this country together and if that means packing the court, doing executive orders on anything and everything, and making the Republicans take me to court to try to slap them down, yeah, do executive orders for the people that help the people, and then when they try to get it slapped down, then boom, there you go. There's your 
you know, re-election campaign fodder where you're like, I'm trying to help you. Look what I'm doing, and these assholes are stopping me. But does he have that in him? I don't think he has that in him because he's not FDR. He's like Bill Clinton. He's like Bill Clinton. He's like Barack Obama. He's a moderate Republican, centrist, corporatist. But he needs to find that in him or else there's going to be so much pain and so much suffering and poverty and degradation out there. And this is my fear, guys. My fear is he doesn't really get how bad it is and where we are and that we don't have a choice but to be like FDR. We don't have a choice but to do a new, new deal. We don't have a choice but to really aggressively tackle these immense problems that we have. I hope I'm wrong. I hope he does recognize this and he does act and he does the right thing. But I do think it's a very naive thing if you believe that that's what he's going to do. I do think that's really naive. For the love of God, Joe, prove me wrong. For the love of God, Joe, be like FDR. Get that executive order pen ready. Because um, with this sort of dark winter ahead, oh, this country is going to go down a really bad path. If, if we, he just half measures himself to death here, at some point, yes, you do risk getting a worse Trump. You do risk a President Tucker Carlson or something like that. You really do. You really do. So stop playing the stupid Washington game. Stop triangulating or being a new Democrat, splitting the difference, being the centrist, being middle of the road. The time is now for radical change because people are really suffering and it's only going to get worse. Okay, next. Next, next, next. So, um, Trump in his lame duck period. Who knows what the hell could have happened? You know, I saw T.J. Kirk, the amazing atheist, tweeting about this, and he was saying, listen, I know it's not likely, but wouldn't it be great if he was like, eh, fuck it, let me actually do some decent stuff. Let me pardon Snowden, let me pardon Assange. I was saying, legalize marijuana, take it off as, uh, of the Schedule One substances list. Um, pull us out of the wars. He says he wants to do it, and he doesn't freaking do it. Do it, do it, do it, do it. So it could, have got, it could go any way, right? Like anything could happen. The guy has no core. He's totally vapid. He has no real beliefs. If he wants to really cobble together a legacy at the last minute where he could like brag about it, okay, do the things that are overwhelmingly popular that you actually will be able to, to describe as serious wins. Um, of course, this is totally unsurprising, but he's going in the other direction. So according to Axios, the Trump administration plans a flood of sanctions on Iran by January 20th. This is the exact opposite of what he should do. This is on the way out. The establishment says, oh, my God, 
we need to finish with what our goals are. And their goals are, one of the things is, overthrowing the Iranian government and doing regime change. And so on the way out, they're like, okay, let's inflict as much damage as possible to try to squeeze that regime out of power. And so they want to do more sanctions. They're going to do, by the way, I don't even know how that's possible. What do you have? Sanctions on top of the sanctions? Like, I don't get it. How do you, they've been so thoroughly sanctioned in every imaginable way. And just so everybody understands, oftentimes the sanctions hurt regular Iranians. It's not just the people in power. They hurt regular Iranians. We've been sanctioning medicine going into that country. In fact, the International Criminal Court said, hey, United States, you can't sanction medicine. That's for civilians. And our response was, we can do whatever the hell we want. And then we chastised the court and pulled out of it and kept sanctioning the medicine. So understand something. We ripped up the Iran deal. It wasn't them. They were following it to a T. We ripped up that deal. And then when they said, okay, we're going to start making, uh, you know, we're going to have ballistic missiles now, we were like, oh, my God, how could you? Oh, my. We pulled out of the deal. And then if they're like, okay, I guess we'll make some ballistic missiles, then you're going to chastise them? Should have stayed in the deal. So we pulled out of the deal. We started sanctioning them. And now they're going to do even more sanctions. And they're trying, man, all the ghouls, Mike Pompeo, Gina Haspel, all these ghouls behind the scenes, this is what the deep state wants. And Trump is going to go right along with it because, again, he has no core. His whole thing was, I'm going to pretend to be, you know, the savior of the country, and then all the people who are the career insiders, you guys just keep this thing going as it normally would. Wall Street run the economy, neocons run the foreign policy, and here we are, you know, Trump is still contesting the election, even though he has no hope. Instead of acknowledging the reality and saying, I better do something that maybe will get me some, you know, some points in the history books in the future. He could. He could legalize marijuana. He could end the wars. He could pardon Snowden and Assange. He could. He could do that. Instead, path of least resistance all day long for this cuck. And what is the path of least resistance? The path of least resistance is, let the neocons do what they want, which is sanction Iran more. I wouldn't be surprised if we have another actual military conflict before he's out. So the pendulum is not swinging in the positive direction in the lame duck. If anything, it's going in the opposite direction because he has no core, he has no real beliefs, and now the establishment is going to run wild. And uh, they're going to put us in a horrendous situation. They fear that Biden wants back in the Iran deal and will work out some sort of new deal with them, which he probably will, which is good. They don't want that. So they're going to do as much damage on the way out as humanly possible. This is a worst-case scenario. Okay. Final story of the day, baby. Final story of the day, you bitch. I'm so happy to be back on air. I really was looking forward to this. All right, here we go. Televangelist Kenneth Copeland and other far-right preachers and far-right political figures 
seem to be handling Donald Trump's loss very well, very normally. Take a look at this. The media said what? <laughs> the media said Joe Biden's president. <laughs> number of people on the right are. I mean, like, guys, it's not even ultimately going to be that close. Like, you're not in let's try to steal it territory. You know, like 2000 election, George W. Bush, Al Gore, it was close enough where it was like, yeah, we can steal this shit. We'll find a way, right? It's not going to be like that with this election. Biden is going to have about the same number of electoral votes that Trump had over Hillary in 2016. Imagine Hillary going to court to try to steal the election that way. Now, they downplayed the election result and did the whole Russiagate nonsense, of course, but they didn't go to court to try to steal it from Trump because they knew we're too far back to try something like that. But I'm not kidding. A decent number of Republicans that I've seen in the past few days, they're they're still convincing themselves, like, no, no, this isn't over. We're going to go to court, and then this is going to happen, and then that thing's going to happen, and then everything's going to fall in place, and then boom, we're good. Donald Trump's going to get reelected. Are you insane? How insane are you guys? Seriously, how insane are you guys? What are you going to do? You're going to wage a lawsuit. You're going to flip Arizona somehow. Not going to happen. What are you going to flip Nevada to? Is that what you're going to do? Again, the margins, especially in Nevada, especially in Pennsylvania, the margins aren't even going to be that close. Like, the, the state where you have the best chance to maybe somehow flip it in a recount, recount, not lawsuits, but a recount would be Georgia. But even that's probably not going to happen. There's a 95% chance Biden's going to win Georgia even after the recount. But let's, let's give that to them. Okay. You do the recount and Trump wins by 18 votes in Georgia. Congratulations. So now the map is Biden 291 or 290. Still wins. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Win in Georgia do lawsuits in Pennsylvania to throw out ballots when Biden's going to win Pennsylvania ultimately by like 100,000 votes. It's not that close. It's not that close. What are you going to do? Sue in four states and somehow get ballots thrown out in four states with this insane idea of like, we think you should count the legal ballots, not the illegal ballots. Nobody was ever counting illegal ballots. And they have this whole mythology that came out of nowhere. They're not even allowing the election observers in there. The people counting the ballots are Democrats and Republicans. What do you think? They locked all the Republicans out of the room and only had Democrats count the ballots? That's not true. That didn't happen. 
That didn't happen at all. It's Democrats and Republicans. What they want is right-wing cranks like Rudy Giuliani and Pam Bondi and people like that to storm in there and raise hell. And, and basically, they stopped the vote. That's what they wanted. That's what they wanted to happen. You lost. Get over it. You lost. Yes, Donald Trump outperformed the polls. Yes, Joe Biden did worse than expected. He was supposed to win 351 electoral votes, 320 worst-case scenario. He didn't. He's going to win like 306. Okay, but you lost. You lost. Get over it. Michelle Bachman is out there today saying the exact same thing, that, oh, my God, we're praying for Donald Trump to win. It's already over. It's over. It's over. This fucking, I mean, I know I saw the copium memes beforehand, but I've never seen anything like this. This is copium to the max. It really, like, that's the perfect word to describe this. It's just utter nonsense. Stop being ridiculous. Stop living in your own world. Acknowledge empirical reality. It's over, son. It's donezo. It's the, take your little victories in the Senate and the House, okay, and call it a day. It's over. Donald Trump himself, at least as of the recording of this segment, he still hasn't acknowledged that he lost. He's acting like he's tweeting through it like nothing happened. He's, tweet, he's tweeting through it like he didn't lose, and like he's going to stay in power. For the love of God, come down to earth. It's embarrassing. I feel embarrassed for you. And by the way, not only is it going to be 306 or so electoral votes for Biden, when all said and done, he's going to win the popular vote by about 5%. That's not, I didn't say 5 million. No, no, no. It's going to be more than 5 million. It's 5%. Now, the poll show it should have been 8, so he underperformed, but he still won by a decent margin. www.getoverit.net. I mean, this is... I, I, it's sad. This is how they're coping. <laughs> I'm masking the pain. <laughs> but the looming Republican civil war is going to be a hell of a thing to watch. It's going to be a hell of a thing to watch. You're going to have the Trumpists versus the establishment types. And there's a lot of disagreement. And they culturally, they couldn't be more different. Policy-wise, they're the same. Culturally, they couldn't be more different. The Mitt Romney types versus the Donald Trump types. By the way, story came out, they're planning on, Trump is planning on continuing to do rallies, like, soon, and trying to raise doubt about the election moving forward. Continue to do rallies and make arguments of, like, hey, there's illegal ballots here and illegal ballots there, and this weird thing happened and that weird thing happened, and so he ain't giving up, even though it's over. There's so many, I mean, there's so many responses to the stolen election thing that it's almost overwhelming how many responses there are. If the Democrats were going to steal it, why didn't they also win the Senate? And why didn't they win the House? They lost seats in the House. So if the Democrats were going to steal it, why didn't they take out Mitch McConnell? Why did Lindsey Graham beat Jamie Harrison by like seven points? If the Democrats were going to steal it, why didn't they just steal Florida, which would have ended it on election night and saved us the three days of everybody freaking out? The 5% victory? So were the millions and millions and millions of extra votes for Biden, all of them are fake? All of them are fake? You don't understand how ridiculous you look. You don't understand how ridiculous you look. You got to stop. I saw a tweet the other day. Remember that scene from the movie Wolf of Wall Street where he's like, I'm not fucking leaving. That popped up as a promoted tweet on my feed. And I was unsure, is this Democrats making fun of Republicans for this? 
Or is this Republicans thinking like, you know, the, Donald Trump is going to make some sort of epic comeback, even though it's already over, and win it through lawsuits or some shit? Just stop it, man. They all look like Kenneth Copeland right now. Oh, Copeland is the best last name for this. Cope. <laughs> Copeland. Ha, 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 ha. Media said Donald Trump lost. Ha, ha, ha. Media said Biden won. Ha, 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 They said that because he did. That's what happened. Okay. We're done, baby. I love you guys. I'm happy to be back in studio. I'll talk to everybody soon. Have a good one. Peace.